What's up, y'all? I'm Brandon Ward, host of Order Within. In this episode, I talk with Matt Zeman, an expert on psychedelics, author, and executive director of Sacred Path Community, who shares his insights and experiences regarding the use of psychedelics. Our conversation includes discussing the impact of psychedelics on individuals suffering from various physical and mental conditions, the misconceptions and societal considerations around psychedelics, and the journey to selfhood, among other topics. The discussion also dives into the importance of well-facilitated usage of psychedelics and the potential for growth and revelation that they hold. So let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Order Within, navigating a world of endless chaos and crisis. Many of us are experiencing inner turmoil, insecurity, anxiety, fears, and isolation. These feelings are only being amplified by news cycles, social media, and never-ending political madness. How do we find our way out of the chaos? How do we find strength within ourselves? How do we find meaning in a world driven by materialism? These questions and many more I aim to answer on the show. My goal is to be a trusted guide on your journey to selfhood. May you find what you seek. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm your host, Brandon Ward, back with another episode of Order Within. We've got a fantastic guest today. We're going to be diving into the world of psychedelics and how they impact our inner world. Matt Zeman is our guest. He's the author of the best-selling book, Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness, as well as Beyond the Trip, a journal for psychedelic preparation and integration. Matt serves as the executive director of Sacred Path Community. Matt, welcome to the show. Brandon, it is good to be here. Nice to talk to another person in North Carolina. Heck yeah. And you're in <laughs> Raleigh? Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill. Yeah, 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 just the other side. Not too far from you. Very cool. Yeah, man. I consider myself a bit of a psychonaut as well. And I, I'm excited to get into the weeds here because I think there's still, as much as things have been growing in the realm of psychedelics, their acceptance, I think, from a social perspective, there's still a lot of misconceptions and it's still so associated with just basically the hippie movement of the 60s. I got mad love for the hippie movement because they made a lot of progress, but dang, man, science and everything around this has come a long way, hasn't it? It really has. There was good science being done before the, uh, the, the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, which kind of put a squash on that hippie movement you're talking about. A thousand plus papers on efficacy and, and how not just effective, but safe these medicines are, relatively speaking. And, but it's wonderful to be living in a time where this research is back up and running. Over 300 academic institutions studying psychedelics. Research coming out all the time on just how, <clears throat> how effective these medicines can be. That's fantastic. I, I did not know that there were that mm. many studies and, and groups working around. That's fantastic to hear. Well, that's something, you know, this is one of the big reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show is there's so much medicinal value in psychedelics. And that's the whole focus of what you're doing with your company and the books that you've written, your experiences. I've also had very powerful experiences related to psychedelics. They've been very transformative for me around uh, ayahuasca and psilocybin mushrooms. I've had some, I've done them. The thing that I've made mistakes in the past, Matt, is actually doing them recreationally. I've come to realize that they, they really are a sacred medicine. 
I think you're playing with fire if you're doing them in a way that isn't necessarily medicinally driven or in an organized fashion. And that's something that you and your organization have really been driving around, isn't it? Is trying to bring an organized, methodical approach to this. Yeah, so I want to unpack a number of things you just said, okay. there, Brandon. You, t- you talked about mistakes, and I'm not a fan of even using that language for people. Mm-hmm. It's everything we do, every step we take is just a part of our process. We're always learning, healing, and growing and moving forward. Sometimes we're more aware, sometimes we're not. But just, yeah, just I might recommend being a little bit gentle on yourself. Mistakes is just a hard word to use and, and just something to think about. On the, I appreciate um, that, by the way. I, can, I've, I definitely have a high achieving streak that I've been working on the last couple of years, that kind of mm-hmm. inner critic. And I've actually had a few guests call me out on that. So I appreciate you reminding me, man. I really do. No, that inner critic is something we all have. We all have that, that inner narrator that's constantly telling us we're not enough. We need to do more. We need to do better. And then for many of us, when we don't pay attention to actually to that inner critic, we are, we're just at the, we're at the mercy of those negative thoughts. And I think with these psychedelic medicines and many, one of the beautiful things that it does is it turns that inner critic down for a while. Mm -hmm. And that just opens up new ways of thinking and ways to look at the world. So then you also talked about medicines and I do, I use that word all the time and I love that word. I also use the word sacrament though. Mm -hmm. And I just want to draw people's attention to this as we start this discussion that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, these medicines were sacraments. There was, they're one in the same. Uh, This is all sacrament, meaning it was a, a a use of of this psychedelic would connect you with whatever your sacred was or whatever the society sacred was. And I think it's important that we don't lose sight of that as we, we move into this new era that we are, we're ushering in that, yes, there is a world for people to be met with the medical model that who want to have a, a prescription and a doctor and, and that type of experience. And then there's a world for people who want to be met on a spiritual model. And there's a number of psychedelic churches or entheogenic is actually the term they would use churches around the country, almost 200 or a little bit more than 200. Wow. Who are, yeah, using these sacraments as a way to commune with their sacred and it's sincere religious belief. And they believe they're doing it legally under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It's, it's beautiful, powerful. And again, medicine just used in a different term. And then I'm going to just, one other thing I'll jump on is just the recreational. The decrim movement has two facets. One fat, their fundamental belief is that no adult should tell another adult that they can't put nature in their body. So I can understand that. There's two reasons this is important. One certainly is for those who say, I don't want to have to show how much depression or anxiety or have a a diagnosis to be allowed to use psychedelics. Okay, that's a very worthy uh, reasoning. The other reasoning is access. The medical model is going to be expensive. It is expensive. Ketamine already is expensive Mm -hmm. for those who are doing it in clinic. When MDMA comes out and psilocybin, there's no question that those are going to be expensive for years. The decrim movement, part of their argument is you've got to give an affordable way for people to access these medicines. Bunches of different thoughts there just on that first opening statement. No, I love it. And and I appreciate you doing that because there's a lot of power in that. I'm a fan of the recreational movement. I think there's a lot of, I actually had a guest, Scott, he pushed back a, a lot on the recreational components that are happening around cannabis and some of these other things, which this upside of this is I love bringing people on the show that don't necessarily agree with everything, right? We want to have these open discussions. <laughs> And you bring up a lot of valid points because I've always leaned a little more libertarian in that sense. The, I I believe firmly in what you just described that we should have the authority to, to put what we want in our bodies. Uh, We are the ultimate 
caregivers and keepers of our wellness in our body and deciding what that may be, particularly things of nature like these substances, these sacraments, which I really love that word because it's, I think that's where, and when I say mistake, because you're right, it was a learning perspective for me to understand that recreational use for me doesn't work. That doesn't mean that recreational use is bad or that people shouldn't do that or I don't want to limit the access recreational because to your point, it's, it is important that people have access to this and the medical side. I mean, that, that's super true. It's going to be very expensive. It already is in some of those components. But I realized for myself that it wasn't a good way to use this medicine in that sense, the sacrament, like you said, because it's, it tapped me into places in my soul, my spirit that I'd never had access to, just even all the meditation work that I've done. A lot of cannabis use in my life never had that same experience that I had, particularly with ayahuasca. I went to a, a ceremony a couple weekends. I did two weekends with a phenomenal gal in San Diego, and it was really transformative for me, Matt, in the sense that I was terrified of what I was getting myself into, mm -hmm. but it, it showed me these deeper parts of my being that I had felt for all of my life, but it clarified what they meant. And it helped me to understand my purpose on the planet and how all that stuff makes sense. And also the chaotic, powerful energy that I felt in myself for a very long time, it brought order to that and actually brought power and beauty to it that before these experiences, I struggled to accept and embrace. And so the, the long short is it helped me to accept these deeper soulful parts of who I was and bring them into the world. And, and I'm still doing that. This is never, this work is never done, right? We're never, there's just never this, I've always thought it's interesting too, like the story that the monk shares, or I'm not sure what it is, but before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, after enlightenment, mm -hmm. chop wood, carry water. I really resonate with that because enlightenment in my mind is in many ways, isn't having all the answers to everything. It's bringing our awareness to life, our soulful component to life and living from that perspective. It doesn't mean all of a sudden now we know everything and we're just this guru master. It's, but it's engaging with the life in a different way. So now I know I just talked a lot about many things. I'd love to hear your perspective on some Brandon, of these points. I mean, you covered some beautiful ground there. So when you talk about enlightenment or awakening, it's a lovely concept. It's a lovely, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to experience. And the, what I caution people when it comes to psychedelics is just to be aware this isn't a cure. It's a catalyst. It's a, depending on which medicine you use, a, a 15 minute to 12 hour experience where you're going to see things differently. You're going to look in yourself differently. You're going to, you're going to experience the world differently. And with that knowledge, you then have a choice of how do you want to use whatever it is that you saw in your everyday life moving forward. And that's the practice or, and we call that integration. An integration can mean, yes, I'm talking to someone about what did I see? How does that relate to what I want to do? Or can just mean I'm chopping wood and carrying water, but how am I doing those things in alignment with the best self that I know to be with my sacred self, with my spiritual self, with um, my whole self, my honest self. It's so then I'm just again, backing up. You, so you end up finding an ayahuasca experience here in the States that was really sounds transformational. On your path to do that, you did experience some recreational psychedelics first. Mm. I don't think that's uncommon. So what, so just again, another way to phrase that is I, I experienced recreational psychedelics and realized, hmm, this is, this might be more powerful than I want to, to do, but I'm also curious. 
and let me go find a good facilitator, a phenomenal facilitator to use your words, who can help me deep dive deeply into my spiritual exploration. And you found that with your yeah. ayahuasca practitioner so much so that you did it on a couple of different occasions. Yep. And that's, that's incredible. And it's finding those experience facilitators is, is part of the process for anyone who wants to experience psychedelics. And I say this for those listening who are looking at the medical model or the underground or the spiritual model, the same questions that you're going to ask a, a provider are true for either one. How many of these have you done? How many people are in the room with me? What do you do to prepare me for this experience? What kind of music or ex environment am I going to be in? What are the rules? Are we going to be talking during the session? Are we going to be touching during the session or am I on my own? Mm -hmm. What happens afterwards with the integration? Where do you get your medicine from? Do you test it? Is it pure? Same questions, whether it's medical or whether it's, it's spiritual or underground. Dude, that's great. And that, that's a lot of powerful insight, Matt, that you just provided for anyone that may be thinking about this or exploring these ideas. Great questions to ask. I didn't know that. I was fortunate enough to have had a friend who introduced me to the practitioner who I had a lot of trust and she was actually working with her. And so there was a track record there. So I felt a, a level of trust. And what I found was the structure of the experience, not just mm -hmm. the medicine itself, was really what helped to your point, right? The facilitation of that experience. And that was because of where we were, the people that I were with. It was a small, intimate group. There were guidelines and she was clear about what we were going to be doing. There was music. There were actual instruments and drumming. This was also my first experience with the tank drum and mm -hmm. in person. And it just, oh my goodness, it was incredible. And that's one thing that really stood out to me too, is it was amazing how much the instruments, the music influenced my journey. And to your point, Matt, that those things really do matter when we're engaging with psychedelics, the, the space you're in, the, and that was also what contributed, I think, to more of the uncomfortable or unpleasant earlier recreational experiences mm -hmm. for me as I was at parties, I was at, I did mushrooms at a music festival, so and I was with people that I wasn't really close with. So part of it so much as I'm reflecting with you now, because I haven't thought about these things in this way in a long time since we've talked, since we're talking about it now, but because those were quite some time ago, the experiences I had, but it was, I didn't feel safe ultimately at the end of the day. And I think what the, the points that you brought up, the questions that you brought up are, it's really about finding where we feel safe, what resonates with us the practitioners, the facilities, all of those things, because that is going to hugely influence our experience. And I think people make the mistake sometimes. I know we just said this earlier, but they can discount or throw away the value of psychedelics based on one bad experience and blame the medicine or the sacrament and not consider all these other factors that can influence our journey when we're in it. That's right on. I mean, the research says that if you pay attention to source, set, and setting, the probability of you having a truly bad trip is very, very small. Source is where does your medicine come from? Is it pure? Do you know that? Do you have good confidence in, in, in what you've purchased or it was gifted? You are set as your mindset. Do you know, have you been in, has someone looked at your medical history and you feel good that you don't have any prescriptions or supplements or physical or mental background that's going to make this a challenge for you? Have they talked to you about how long this experience is going to be? Have they asked you to, to think about what your intentions are, all those types of things. And, and are you going into that experience 
wanting to do this? Are you doing this for somebody else? That's all you're set. And then your setting is the physical environment. Are you comfortable with the people? Are you comfortable with the facilitators? Are there no, no interruptions, no, no doorbells or phones ringing or kids coming in or dogs barking? And then what is that music is, I, I agree with you. It's a huge piece of the, it can be a huge piece of the process. There are, there are definitely people who do, who believe in more silent psychedelic experiences, but I think for most people entering this space, having a, having music to guide through the process, ideally live musicians, but certainly you can use a pre-recorded. Then there's some amazing, amazing playlists out there. Yeah. It makes a huge difference and, and you are susceptible. So let me just, just jump on this for one more second. You are very susceptible when you are in a, or suggestible when you're in a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that can be great if you're working with a good guide, a good facilitator who has loving music or music that's going to move you up and down. But it's also something to be aware of. If you don't know your guide, if you don't know your facilitator, if you don't know what they believe in, if you don't understand what they're going to say to you during the ceremony, you can be, again, it's, you're highly suggestible. Mm -hmm. So just mm -hmm. be aware of that going in. And again, that's true of the medical model versus, and the, and the spiritual and the medical model therapists are often trained to talk and to ask questions and to give opinions. And psychedelics is not about that. It's mm -hmm. about a journey within and finding, discovering your inner wisdom. So you really want someone to be there. If you get scared, who can say, no, you're okay. You're going to be okay. You're just taking a whole bunch of medicine. Keep going but you really don't need someone to interpret what you're seeing for you. Oh, I love that, man, because it's, and it's very true, especially from the medical world in that perspective, it's all about the opinions and the perspectives often being fused. And really the, this whole game is about tapping into your own sense, your own essence, your own soul, spirit, whatever, getting into yourself. Even if you don't believe in those things, it's, I love that you bring that up. And I think that's why the goal here in my mind for our conversation, Matt, in a lot of ways is to help people get more comfortable with these concepts, things to consider. I love that you're offering very practical cautionary things to consider, things to be mindful of, but it also, it's okay too. There's a lot of, there's, this is, it's so powerful. And the thing that was cool about the journeys, the, the ceremonies that I did they actually ebbed and flowed between silence and music. There would be silence mm -hmm. and then they would play music and then we would go and you would ebb and flow on that journey. So to your point, it's sure. understanding who's leading those ceremonies, who's behind the practice, what their suggestions will be, their, their beliefs. If you're not careful, to your point, we are suggestible. So that's why we have to be, I think, cautious when we take these things, but also, obviously, also open to these experiences and what they can offer us. And you said this earlier, these sacraments have been around for thousands of years, just like meditation, just like other practices that have been around, that have been more spiritual oriented. Science is now catching up to just validate what we've known for many years that this, the sacred component has been honoring for, for centuries. So it's cool that these two worlds, the spiritual and the science, scientific world are really starting to merge and blend and basically validate what we've known for a very long time. Yeah. Alan Watts talks about this. He talks about how in the old days there was just healer and the healer was both a spiritual healer and a medical healer. Mm. And in Western society, we have really separated those roles where we've given pure science to the medical doctors 
And we've given issues of death and dying and, and meaning of life to the spiritual. And there really isn't by a lot of overlap between those two worlds. And psychedelics plays in both worlds. And I can totally understand that it would be fair to say if we gave psychedelics only to the spiritual leaders, they don't have the latest information on my brain and body to keep me safe. Totally fair. And conversely, if we give psychedelics to the medical, that they don't have the knowledge of the spiritual realm and my eternal being, it, there needs to be a reconciliation between these two worlds. There needs to be medical best practices brought into spiritual world with, and that can look like medical intakes. It can look like informed consents. It can look like having nurses on staff. It can look like a whole, it can look like even preparation and integration afterwards. But there also can be spiritual elements brought into the medical world. And yeah, I'm excited. I spent a lot of time dancing between both those communities, trying to pass information back and forth. I love it, man. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to have you on the show because of the mission that you're on in the world. I very much appreciate the work that you're doing because I think it's crucial that we do that as a species and, and as a society is we start to, we realize that the science and spirit are just two sides of one coin. That is life itself. Like when we look at polarity, the world reflects nature. Nature reflects our life. And when we think about negative and positive, good and bad, the cold and hot, our life is polar. It's, but the scale of life is both of those things. And so it's the same in my mind with spirit and science. When those two realize their mission is the same, it's just the way they go about pursuing it is ultimately, in my mind, the pursuit of truth. Science is focusing on the objective material world. But there is an objective material component to spirit. We know that now with the, the quantum physics and what we've learned about the world that we don't see. So it's getting closer and closer, which is phenomenal, Matt. You're helping with this. I think you're, you know, you're a, a bridge builder, if you will. I like to think that I'm doing that in the same way, but it, from a different perspective. Because in my mind, what will power us up as humans and allow us to really reach the next phase of our evolution, which... We've done all these technological leaps. We've got all this incredible technology in our world. The, the quality of life for people has risen globally. But here we are still struggling with some of these kind of ancient challenges, if you will. But we're, we're making tons of progress. So I don't want to discount that. But nonetheless, still a lot of work ahead of us, if you will. But I'm excited about it. I love what you said there. I mean, this is by all objective measures, this is the greatest time to be alive ever. And yep. there are challenges and that's okay. It can be perfect and not okay at the same time. And then I also love what you're talking about being about nature. I mean, so certainly psychedelics have shown me that na I'm not separate from nature. I am nature and we are absolutely interconnected. We, we look like different waves, but we are all part of the same ocean. And this is a, I didn't have that perspective. I'd heard those things, but I didn't have that knowing I'll say. So perspective mm. is actually the wrong word. It's knowing. Mm. I didn't have that knowing before psychedelics. Psychedelics helped me really to know that this is true and to be able to, to say that confidently. Matt, that's, I love that too, because that's the difference between knowledge and experience, isn't it? We can know something or we can be aware of something, but then to experience something is really anchoring it in our being. And I think there's a lot of that's why it's important to, to learn, to grow, to read, to expand our awareness. 
but it's in the application of things. It's the, the experience of these things, the taking the knowledge and then putting them into action. Because it's just, in many ways, honestly, it's a like enlightenment. And the concepts we were talking about earlier a little bit is it's one thing to talk about these things, to, to intellectually understand them. But we don't really anchor them into ourselves until we have that emotional component. And that's, again, we're dancing around science and spirit logic and emotion, it's the same kind of dynamic in many ways. To me, emotions are represented by spirit. Logic is represented by science. It's the merging of those two things. What makes us powerful is the fact that we have both of those things. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom in many ways, is our ability to feel deeply and to think logically. We can envision the future. Animals are driven by instinct. Now, we can make the argument that there are, mm -hmm. obviously, there are species on our planet that, that have these conscious components, in particular whales and dolphins, and I believe primates. Some primates have the same kind of, even horses and elephants, I think. So it's, anyway, we're expanding on that. I don't want to get too in the weeds because I haven't done enough research to really say, yes, what is or isn't provable at this point. But my point being is humans have a lot of capacity, a lot of depth to us, and it's the concept of both the logical component and the emotional component that really brings us together as a whole being, which makes up the spirit to me. It's that kind of holy trinity component. Yeah. I think the direct experience or direct spiritual experience is something just to continue to harp on here. That's what makes psychedelics unlike any other type of therapy that exists, either talk therapy or prescription. We're not numbing symptoms with psychedelics. You are doing inner work. You're trying to explore things that have happened to you, things that happened that you are the driver of. You're looking at your relationship with the universe and you're coming up with your knowledge of those things. And it's your experience. People are leaving churches and droves right now across the country. And we're seeing when it comes to psychedelics that a lot of people are hungry. They're hungry for the community. They're hungry for the experience. They're hungry for the connection. They are tired of feeling lonely. They're tired of feeling disconnected. They're tired of feeling with, that they don't have a purpose. And again, these medicines don't cure anything. They just, it's a direct experience that then allows you to awaken, to be aware, and then to, again, practice on an everyday basis moving forward. Yeah. And I love that you say that because I see them, it's because it's not a cure. It's not, an, it's not a panacea. It's not going to solve, but it's a doorway. It's a doorway to mm -hmm. a new path. It's a doorway to a, an expanded perspective on life. And to your point, it, it's the experience component that makes this so powerful because you and sticky exactly that it lasts it doesn't just it's not going to fade away when you stop taking the medicine or it's not going to fade away i mean people who take people who have taken psychedelics will say it's one of the top five things that, that's ever happened to them period what else is there that has that kind of effect i mean people can you meditate and achieve some of these things absolutely but you might do it for 20 or 30 years before this happens here in a you take a, a large dose of psilocybin you're going to have an experience. Yep. And again, the vast majority, 80 some percent, it's going to be in the top five experiences of their life up there with having a child, getting married, the death of a parent. It's a significant experience. And even when it's challenging, challenging, not meaning bad, challenging me, meaning emotional, challenging me, meaning hard, they're still going to say those things. They wouldn't give it up. And that's incredible. I don't know what else there is. I know there isn't anything like this. There is no comparison. This is like blah. Mm doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics are in a category of themselves to have these significant life experiences.
They really are. And I can attest to it in my own life. I've also seen people transform with their own experiences using psychedelics because it, it literally allows our brain to rewire itself. It's like it opens up completely new pathways that weren't there before. And like you were saying that you could potentially get there with meditation or yoga or therapy, but it takes sometimes years, decades to then have this bolt of lightning moment that goes, wow, wait a second, this relationship that I have with my brother is that I've been thinking about this completely in a different way. And now I'm seeing that relation totally different. I'm seeing my parents in a different light. I'm seeing my career in a way that I've never seen it before. I'm see it, what's amazing to me too, Matt, is how people will come into these experiences with bad habits or addictions or things of this nature. They'll go into mm. these experiences and then literally cold turkey, they're done with the things, whether it's smoking or hard drugs, like a lot of things. PTSD is another component. Drinking. I'd love to get your perspective on, because we've been talking philosophically, I think a lot about psychedelics and, and where they fit in our society. And the, I think the challenges that people have coming to them. But I'd love to talk more specifically about some of the things that you're doing in your community and, and the, the specific issues that can be addressed with this medicine and sacrament. So people come into psychedelics for a number of reasons. Some come, as we talked about, for, because they're looking for a spiritual uh, experience. Others come because of depression, anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, substance use challenges, um, behavioral challenges, you, you name it. There, anything that, that's a result of repetitive thinking behavior leads people here. And that's what the research is focusing in on. So you can then say, which piece of the research, look at whatever's interesting to you. So if you're autistic, there's beautiful research being done by University of Toronto of psychedelics and autism. If you're end of life, there's beautiful research being done by NYU, Johns Hopkins, uh, UCLA, uh, a number of institutions studying uh, psychedelics for people end of life. Does it change the prognosis? No. What it changes is the way they experience the, the last few months of life and live with the diagnosis. We're seeing it with, you, you brought up addiction. So everything from Ibogaine being used for people with heroin addiction and opioid addiction to psilocybin and ketamine really showing incredible results with smoking and, and alcohol use. It's incredible. Just again, not a cure, not a, it does everything. It's a, it's work for whoever does it, but it can really help the process in a way that is radically different than what exists today. You brought up also what, how does the mind work and what is the mind doing at a super, super high level? It is, it's quieting down that default mode network so that you turn off that inner narrator. It is allowing neurons to fire together that haven't fired together in years. It's starting a, a bit of a neuroplasticity. So neurons are growing and strengthening. All of that is happening beside, behind the scenes. But what you feel is, wow, I have a new way of looking at the world. I can see how my behaviors and my actions cause everything and cause everything. And with that knowledge that I'm 100% accountable for this world that I live in, how do I move that forward? And how do I, how do I start taking? with that accountability, changing my life to, to make it the movie that I want to be a part of. So powerful. I think that's what's incredible about it too, Matt, is what you just said at the end there is it empowers us to claim responsibility for everything in our life and, and transform or own or go deeper into whatever it may be, whatever we're finding 
that presents ourselves in these experiences. Cause that's what I, I experienced. And also many people that I've known who have done this is things present themselves, whether it's past relationships, whether it's career related stuff, whether it's eating habits, like that's a lot of the fun too, is you really don't know what's going to show up and, and show you things that you should be mindful of. And I began, I, I dated a girl uh, a, while, a long time ago. Obviously, I'm happily married to my wife now, but but she had an experience. She was struggling with depression. She went to a facilitator in Mexico who did Ibogaine. She did it for a, mm. a couple of weekends and or a weekend, and it changed her life. And she had this experience, Matt, where the three kings led her through different points in her life, in her past, and taught her the various lessons and reframed the way she was thinking about these experiences to help adjust what she was doing. And she came into one, she was able to let go a lot of her past trauma and some really bad relationships, in particular with one guy, and also reframe the design work and the artistic perspective that she was doing in her job and her career and to pivot into her own, go out on her own from that experience. That all came from a weekend of doing Ibogaine. She had an IV, there was nurses on staff, sure. but like yeah. it's, she had no idea though what would come up. And she also had an eating disorder. That was the, there were three, I remember mm. there being three things and those three kings represented each of those three big pieces. So, but my experience was completely different than that. Each of us most likely experienced something different, right? So Matt, I would love to hear. Now, did you do the Ibogaine as well? I did not. I've only, okay. I've done ayahuasca, psilocybin mushrooms, and LSD. Those are the three that I've done and so very lightly LSD, but. So stick on Ibogaine just for a second, okay. just for your listeners. So when we talk about psychedelics, the vast majority of them are physically, relatively physically safe and not addictive. Ibogaine is one that is powerful, but also does carry some cardiovascular risk. Mm. So it is really one that you want to have. That's one that if you're not in like Gabon with the tribes that's serving iboga, you, you probably want to be in a medical facility if you're going to experience Ibogaine. And typically that is for again, addiction, serious eating disorders. It's, it's the longest, I believe it's the longest of the psychedelic trips. It's 20 to 24 hours. Mm. It's a long time and it's extremely powerful. Matt, the other, quick, uh, just before you yeah, go yeah. on, the, it was, it was actually a medical doctor that was trained in the States yeah. that had started a in facility Mexico. in Mexico yep. from, she was from San Francisco originally. So I, I mm -hmm. think, cause to your point, yeah. you have to be caught, like, that's another cautious component, but I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. So that's something for, again, for Ibogaine, you really want to watch that. And, and there are underground clinics in, in Mexico and Canada, not here, not as many in the States, definitely those, but North and South of us, there are options. You don't need a medical practitioner when you're using psilocybin or when you're using um, ayahuasca during the ceremony. What you, what I do suggest though, is you make sure that you don't have any contraindications for whatever medicine you're going to take. An easy way to do that is Dr. Ben Malcolm's intakes. He has spiritpharmacist.com or spiritpharmacist.com. You can book, anyone can book with him. He has nothing to sell you besides information. And he'll look at your medical history. He'll look at your, your behaviors. And he'll have a candid discussion with you or whatever medicine you're thinking about taking. And he'll say, mm, yeah, that, that seems like that'll work well for you. Or no, probably not. Or this would be really dangerous. Or if you want to take that, maybe taper off of this thing you're on. And here's a way to do that. Highly recommend him or somebody who's not interested in selling you 
necessarily a, a high priced psychedelic experience to do your own medical intake. If you believe your history is at all complicated, or if you're taking any prescriptions that you're concerned about, because if you, the wrong interactions can make these medicines dangerous. And that's again, just something to watch out for. Again, by and large, we talk about safety of these drugs. When we think about how dangerous alcohol and tobacco are, these are off the charts safer than those. And that doesn't mean they're safe. It just means the risk is reduced. So just keep that in mind as you're doing, heading down your psychedelic path. Be mindful. And, and be mindful of that. And Matt, the reality is too, is even pharmaceuticals, there's a huge, oh my gosh, just watch one of the commercials and they list like 40 things that could potentially happen when you take something that's going to help your skin. So it's, there's risk to all of these. That's the point. Like it's a medicine. And the risks range. So let's stick on that for just a second. Yeah. They range from, yes, a couple hundred people every year die from Tylenol overdose or, or acetaminophen. Um, when we talk about side effects, let's talk about these just antidepressants and side effects. You get a list of things that could happen to you and you think, oh yeah, that's not going to happen to me though. One is they don't go into the details that I think they, they should. And I'll give one example. 73% of people, again, one study says 73% of people who take uh, an, an SSRI antidepressant is going to have sexual dysfunction. It's a huge percentage. Now, does that kill you? No. Is that, is that a diminished quality of life? I'd say it is. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe people understand that it's that high of a probability of a side effect of an antidepressant on top of that we don't in our culture really have a medical system designed to not just get us onto these medicines, but get us off of these medicines. And this, the, what should be an episodic or a six month prescription becomes a decade or 20 year prescription and all sorts of things happen. So if antidepressants are working for you, that's amazing. They work for about 40% of the population and, and that's great. If the side effect profile is too high, if they're not working for you, I encourage you to talk to your doctor, ask him, how do I taper off of this? What else is out there? Maybe I should look at ketamine if I want to stay in the legal world and, and try that for a little bit. Maybe I want to go on to one of these psychedelic churches and try psilocybin or go to an ayahuasca retreat like you did, Brandon. Lots of options, but have that candid discussion with your doctor. By and large, I think doctors are getting used to having these conversations more and more these days. They won't, they don't know how to support you, <laughs> but they, they're having these conversations more and more. Yeah. And I'm, it's crazy the numbers on that too, Matt, because my wife and I had that experience, to be honest, the three and four component with this, the sexual intimacy to SSRI. So we, that's, she was on some for a little bit. We had the same, it completely affected that. I had no idea that it was that high. So I can validate that from a personal experience. But I think to your point, I love that it's not, I don't love it, but it's unfortunate that it's not talked about more because these things are very common. I mean, that's three in four people will have that experience with SSRIs. That's wild. That's to think about. But it's not necessarily this life altering thing, but it is for some people like sexual intimacy in a marriage is a pretty important thing to a lot of people. So it's important to consider these things. But I think the challenge is, and personally, I have a, I've just had a lot of poor experiences with the medical field for myself and with people that I love over the life, my lifetime. And it's broken a lot of trust and there's a long way to go in terms of the trust that needs to be rebuilt with how we manage these things. And to your point, pharmaceuticals are meant to be in many ways for most people, a temporary thing. They're a part of a 
a point in your life, not meant to be used for years, decades, but that's often what they are. And I've lost a lot of faith in the medical field because it feels like it's either, it's pretty much all pharmaceuticals. We have a two-year-old daughter. I feel like anything that we go to our pediatrician with, it's, oh yeah, here's some antibiotics. That's, you can't just blanket statement antibiotics for everything. And also there's a consequence to that. There's a negative consequence that's often not talked about. And if you bring any of this stuff up, oh, now all of a sudden you're anti-medicine, you're anti-science, like all this nonsense. COVID really made a lot of this crazier because you can't, it's like you can talk about it even less now. So anyway, I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that things are changing. I think these things are helping that, but we, we still, man, we have a lot of work around how these two worlds play together. We do. And it's, at least in my experience, it all starts with the eye. I am working on my learning, healing, and growing. Yep. I am, my healing is your healing and your healing is my, I am going to heal those who are around me. And if each of us take our responsibility, work on our healing, the world, these, everybody, these are all people. We put people into groups, the mm -hmm. medical industry, mm -hmm. the religious leaders, the politicians, we're all just humans. Mm. And how do we, again, starting with the eye and working outward in our little sphere of influence. And everybody listening to this, if we all just do that, that's going to ripple all the way across. Matt, you know what's cool, man? There's a common thread with my show here and the guests that are coming on, and it's just that, exactly what you just said, man. So many people, that I share that same philosophy. I miss on it sometimes. I forget that. But ultimately, the reality is, is that if each of us stepped into our power, worked on our own healing, and you just said it, the I am, the world, all these things would take care of itself because each of us would find power in what we're doing and we would look out into the world and, you, and we would say, you know what, I'm inspired to focus here. I'm inspired to do this. And that's built around our own internal journey of healing and empowerment. And then we go out and we express our creativity through problem solving and solutions because it brings us joy. And I love that you said that though, because that really is the common thread. I think at least what I'm hoping to do with Order Within is that if each of us take responsibility and step into our power, all of us have this incredible expression and service that we can offer the world. And through that service and expression, we find fulfillment. So I really appreciate you saying that, man. And all of that, thank you, Brandon. And all of that is true when we're living for ourselves and not for someone else. Mm. So again, we talk about enlightenment or awareness. The awareness that I had to go through was, hmm, I'm doing things to please my parents who died a long time ago. Mm. I am behaving in ways to earn their love that they're not capable of giving me in the way that I'm asking for. And I've assumed an identity and put on mask after mask after mask to, to get that type of love. And that's not living from my true self. That's not living in my power. That's not going where the energy really drives me. That's not believing that this is an abundant world. It's a scare. I was living in a scarcity mindset that there wasn't enough. I had to get mine. Someone else wasn't going to get theirs as a competitive versus, uh-uh, there is plenty for everyone, mm -hmm. period, full stop. <laughs> and not to believe the fears that are instilled on us on our, by our culture that, oh, we've got to, we have to forego life today on the off chance that we live to 90 and have to go into a special type of nursing home that we have enough money for that. And we have to save all this money so that we can send our kids to $80,000 a year colleges or else they're going to be doomed. And it's just not true. So switching them, for me, switching that mindset 
into a, from a, from scarcity to abundance and becoming aware of, I had, this is my life. This is not my parents' life. This is not my partner's life, my wife's life. This is not my kid's life. This is my life for me. How do I want to live it in ways that bring me joy and move my energy and my body? And, and yeah, it's a very different way of living for me. Well said, Matt. Well said, man. It's moving away from that zero sum game, the all or nothing mentality. I think binary thinking, it's a very much, <clears throat> and we forget that fear is very profitable for a lot of people in our world. There's a lot of people profiting off of fear and, and doing those things, but it, it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the world we and live in. And it doesn't matter. So follow me here. Let's go. I like it. Okay. They're profiting. Great. How does that change your world today? How does it change my world today? So it's just another form of comparison, which is the death of happiness. Mm -hmm. As I compare myself to my friends, oh, they look like they have a bigger house. They look like they have a nicer car. They look like they have a better marriage. They look like they have friendlier children. They look like they have whatever. It's just not true. And it doesn't matter. Even if they did have a nicer car and a nicer house and a better marriage, it doesn't matter. This is my marriage, my car, my house. This is what matters. Mm. And I need to, if, when I spend less time thinking about others in terms of that and more time thinking about, I feel love. I want to give love. I want to receive love. I feel better in that, <laughs> in the love <laughs> mode than in the comparison mode. It's super true, man. Very, very solid reminders. This is the p that's the thing, man. We, it's easy to fall into that way of thinking in it. It can be a trap. It can be very much a trap. And you, you work to do your best to focus on the things that we control. Control is a big thing. Like what we're responsible for, the ownership that we have of our lives. And to your point, man, we don't control any of that. I have no control over the profiting off of fear. I have no control over what politicians do. I have no control over any of those things. I have control over my life, the choices I make, the way I respond to everything that's in front of me. The way you and I interact, the way I treat the grocery clerk while I'm getting my groceries, those are the things that we have power over. And it really is important to, to focus on the things that we have control over. And when we talk about control, we're talking about immediate control and long term. So at some level, I would actually argue that we do have control at a, in a different world mm. a different uh, over all of this, but it's not immediate control. Mm. So again, how do, I, how do I live my life differently so the person, people I'm interacting with live their lives differently so that just, and it ripples out. But there's a lot of work in that process. There is, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Something that we forget, and this is something that I've, I've learned and worked on, is work is actually fun when we have a perspective that we bring that says this can be joyous. Like doing hard things can actually be very fulfilling and joyous. And I think that's what, I didn't know that when I was younger. And I like, I was very silly and had very short-sighted and all those things. A lot of what most of the things that we do when we're young and think we have all the answers, but realize as we get older, we know very little. But it's, it's understanding that the challenge, the climbing the hill, the accomplishments, man, that's fulfilling. That's, I now lean into challenging situations, things that push me beyond my comfort zone. There's a difference, though, between, I think, misery that we're experiencing because we're genuinely misaligned versus this is challenging, this is pushing me, but I'm driving towards a bigger vision. I'm growing when I'm doing this and I'm finding fulfillment in the work. Cause I think, and I've had a low Merrick, shout out to Lo right now. She was pushing back on me as well with this concept of working on ourselves is hard and it's all this work. Cause work doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be this misery. Challenging yeah, work can be fulfilling. But the suffering is optional. Mm, that's it. The 
So a couple of things, using the definition of work, uh, telling the younger me, there is no difference between work and life. Mm -hmm. There's just life. Sometimes you're making money and sometimes you're not making money, <laughs> but there's only life. And if you're aligned, if I'm aligned, the things I do to make money and how I make money is absolutely the same way in how I do things when I'm not making money. It's the same alignment. The suffering, in my experience, comes from being attached to an outcome. I am suffering because I want my toys back. I am suffering because I want my job back. I'm suffering because I wanted this to go one way and it went the other way. Mm. I'm suffering because I have an expectation that's not being met by the universe. The easiest way for me to get out of that suffering is to be like, wait a minute. I don't know what's good or bad. There's things that have happened in my life that I thought were bad at the time that turned out to be great. So this is just what is happening and it is what it is. So let's move on. If, if there's nothing else that could be done, let's move on and let go of that suffering. Mm. And that last thing I'm going to say on this piece in terms of the emotions, emotions are, are thoughts that don't yet have words associated with them. So when we feel this is hard, we feel anxiety, we feel depression, we feel anger, that's beautiful. And to try to just dismiss it, let get, I want to get rid of that emotion. That's not helpful. Mm. Lean into it, friends. What is that emotion about? Where is that coming from? Why? And, and I think in most cases, it's fear. So why am I, what am I afraid of losing? What am I afraid of being, how am I afraid of being judged? Who am I being afraid of being judged from? Where is this emotion coming from? And, and how can I then recognize it, be aware of it, and then live Fantastic. with it until it chooses to leave? That's a lesson that took me a long time to learn, Matt, was that our emotions are signals and they're communicating to us. They're actually blessings. Even the things that we deem negative or bad or mm -hmm. whatever, they're, they're, they're telling us something. Exactly. The progress that I've been able to make in myself has been because I've leaned into the hurt, the sadness, the anger, because it was showing me something that I had yet looked at. And the longer we ignore those things, the the more amplified those feelings often get because they're trying to get our attention. It's, look, these are beautiful signals that are pointing to growth for us, opportunities to heal. And when we suppress them or we disconnect from them, we're removing that opportunity to, to progress and heal, aren't we? And, and so I love that you said that, man. But Matt, real quick, unless, I don't know if you want to, but I, no, tell me. We've, we've talked a lot about psychedelics and all the power that it holds, but what got you to where you are today, man? What got you into this? Brandon, I, I fell into this by accident. I had, so I was not a drug user. I wasn't a big drinker. And some friends said, hey, we've hired a guide to do a guided uh, mushroom journey. Do you want to come with us? And at first I said no, but they ended up persuading me. And in that first kind of six, seven hour journey, it completely changed the way I look at the world. I reconnected with my mom who died when I was 22. She was 49. I've realized that I didn't feel, I felt so safe and loved in that medicine experience and almost in the next instant realized, wow, I don't feel safe and loved in my everyday life. Mm. And that awareness, once I was aware of that, then I could work on it. Mm. But until I was aware, I didn't know. And that led me to going back to school to get a master's in psychology and neuroscience. That led to also traveling around, experiencing different types of medicines from different types of facilitators. And really putting a lot of thought into what is this? What is consciousness? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to, to be on a learning, healing and growing journey? Recognizing that I, I again came to believe, to know, not to believe, to know 
that I'm an eternal creature having a human experience. And that also completely changes the way I think of the world. And it's very different than how I was thinking of the world for the years since, since I pre psychedelics, I had no belief in God, no concept of heaven was just, I couldn't imagine that there'd be a God who would take my mom away mm -hmm. right after taking my father and my grandmother and my great aunt all within like a four year window. So it was a, it's been an incredible return to spirituality. Oh, man, that's epic. It's very epic. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's very beautiful, man. I, it's, and Matt, I talk to a lot of different people, a lot of really rad humans, and I feel very fortunate for that. And Dude, you're, you've got a very authentic, grounded presence, man. Like it's obvious to me that you've done a lot of work. You've walked this path. You've found that awareness in the sense that because it never, it, it's beautiful, man, because once you start to accept life as a journey, you get to realize that it's every day that we're here. Those are the blessings, not some end point that we're driving towards, but the fact that we're here living now in this moment and we have the privilege to be able to look back where we've come and what we're doing and how far we've grown and changed and evolved and also to look forward and, and envision a life that we want to continue building. That's just, that's such a privilege, man. Life is such a privilege. And, but it, you got to get there from a perspective point. Like it, it takes time and, and effort to get to these perspectives, doesn't it? Because we often miss this stuff. Dude, I didn't know any of this stuff when I was young in my 20s. And I just, and it was a lot of suffering, like you said. And just as you mentioned in your story, it was the framing that we, that I would, the way I was framing everything. The reframe of life is a secret power, superpower in many ways, because you can take an experience that re you were viewing as this horrible, awful thing. And then if you reframe it and look at it differently, it can be the catapult now that moves you into the next beautiful part of your life. It really does come down to perspective. And it sounds like the, the medicine, the sacrament gave you a whole lot of perspective on where you were. Huh? When was this, Matt, by the way? About five years ago. Oh, nice. So you've been on it. You've been on it now. Yeah. Look, look at you yeah. now, dude. You, 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 it's it's phen phenomenal. You're speaking on stages. You've got a company you're running. You're doing a lot of phenomenal work in your company, man. I, it's... I'm really stoked we met and that you're just less than not too two hours away. away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Not too far. Yeah, I I'm, I'm appreciative of the work you're doing. I appreciate you having me on today to have this discussion. Appreciate you being open about your own journeys, both the, the, to, to admit that I did things recreationally and that's not, it wasn't for me. And, and I had these other experiences and they were beautiful. And yeah, I appreciate you taking us on your journey as well. Heck yeah, dude. Matt, let's, two things. This way I always end the show. What are you working on now that you, that, like, how can people get in touch with you or, or if anything specific that you'd like to share? And then just a parting message for the audience. Yeah, I'm, I have, I do discovery calls with people every day. So they come to my website, mattzeman.com. They can book one and we can talk about psychedelics and I can help just answer questions that they might have and talk about this journey in a little bit more of a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I don't, I, yeah, that's easy. Mattzeman.com, they can go there. And then I'm spending just a ton of time with Sacred Path Community. We're working on the spiritual, safe and spirit, safe and sacred use of psychedelic. That's community building and in working between the medical and the spiritual worlds is, it takes up a lot of time. Got you. Yeah, I bet it does. I bet it does. So Matt, if there's, I put, so I'll link to your site if people want to reach out to you, you and have, they can connect with you if they're interested in your work. What's something that you would share before we, like, in terms of psychedelics and their work that you were doing, what would you like to share with the audience before we, we end the show? 
I think if anybody is still listening to this after 57 minutes, then you're either listening because you're trying to validate your perspective or because you're being drawn, called to do this. So like my nudge would be whatever information you feel like you're missing, go get it. Whether it's my book or Michael Pollan's book or somebody else's, find that information and then try to find the, the way to do this with as much safety as possible, knowing that this is a risky endeavor, but a rewarding endeavor. But if you're in it, again, 58 minutes here, <laughs> something's calling you and there are many options, many ways that you can get to this medicine and find the one that's right for you. Excellent, Matt. That's a great parting message. I appreciate you saying that. I really appreciate the work you're doing out in the world, man. So thanks for coming on. For the audience, we certainly appreciate your eyes, your ears, your attention. It's saying a lot in the world that's in, in our world today where everything's pulling at your attention, especially if you're still with us on this ride. So with that being said, <laughs> until next time, y'all. Thank you for listening to Order Within. If you found the episode helpful, please consider sharing, rating, and subscribing. New episodes will be released every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, y'all.